right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton. It's great to be here with you. It's early on a Sunday morning. I was actually looking forward to sleeping in a little bit, but for some reason, I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep. So here we are. And that's okay. It's great to get the day started. And uh, so I just wanted to bring this thought to you as we as we explore this uh, these passages in First Samuel, uh, because this is very, very important for us as men, very important for us as leaders in our homes, in the church, uh, leaders at work, wherever uh, God has placed us. I, I do want us to think uh, really, really deeply about this, and especially in regards to um, guys who are struggling with pornography. And this story most definitely has a word for us. So uh, we looked at the last episode. We looked at um, this, the birth of Samuel. We looked at, um, you know, Eli and Hannah coming and praying before the Lord. We talked about prayer, how important that is, and just confessing our prayerlessness and asking God to give us more of a hunger and a thirst for his word, a hunger and thirst for communion with him. And so we're going to continue this story because it, it gets very, very interesting. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. So let's dig in. All right, here I am. I'm going to be in First Samuel 2 uh, for a good, good bit of it, and then we're going to move on. But starting in verse 22. Now, Eli, so this is God's priest, remember that. Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with women and were serving at the entrance, who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it's it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so what happens here? Well, a prophet of the Lord comes to Eli, and he says, essentially, he's like, you, you've chosen your children over me. And because of that, I'm going to remove them from office, and I'm going to remove you from office. And he goes on in verse 35, and he says, and I will raise, God is saying this through the prophet, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no frequent vision. So when I'm reading this, I'm seeing at least like I'm seeing three things right off the bat here, right? I see these three three things going on. So Eli's sons are wicked and rebellious, right? So they're in, when I was reading this and thinking about it, they're not followers of God and only do what feels good to them in the moment, like stealing from God's people, sleeping with women who were appointed to serve God, like just despicable things. And we look at that and it's easy to see Eli's sons and go, man, they, they should have been removed from office. But then too, I also see Eli who is a follower of God, but yet tolerates 
sin in the camp. Tolerate sin in God's house by his sons. He tolerates it. He chooses to side with his children over the honor and the glory of God. Although he confronts them, he doesn't do anything to discipline that we read of. And so he's complicit in their sin. And, and through this, he forfeits his own ministry. 1 Samuel 2.29 says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? So God's saying, you're fattening yourself, like Eli, you're fattening yourself and your sons are too on the offerings. You're taking meat that was supposed to be for me and you're eating it. It's interesting that we read later on when Eli dies, it comments that he was fat. Well, he was fat from stealing from God. So you have Eli's sons, wicked. You have Eli, who's tolerating sin. And then you have Samuel, who is said to minister before the Lord. And he says that three times in 2.11, 2.18, and 3.1. So it's Samuel ministers, it's apparent that he doesn't follow the pattern of Eli's sons. Instead, he chooses to humble himself before the Lord and grow and mature in his faith and in righteousness, choosing to honor God above his own desires. And you see that 1 Samuel 2.21, it says, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. First Samuel 3:19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, like this is this is the life of the Christian is to grow and mature. And so when I look back at my life, I should see a pattern of growing. And, and how, does, how does Samuel grow? He grows by listening to the word of God and following the word of God and ministering before the Lord, worshiping and sacrificing and listening. So think about Eli's sons. Like, how do you think they, they do you think they even tried, do you think they tried to like, tempt Samuel into sinning with him? I bet, I bet they did. I bet they did. Like, we don't, we don't know, but I'm sure, like, surely they tried to influence him. But Samuel had one mission, and that was to minister before the Lord and to grow in God's presence and in his favor. So what happened is over time, the Lord began to establish his word because Samuel honored the word of the Lord. And so what happens? Well, there's a continuation of the story in chapter four. It goes in the word of the Lord and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And so some times passed here and Samuel is, um, Samuel's now, um, you know, ministering before the Lord and his word is coming to all Israel. So they're recognizing Samuel uh, and as a judge. And then it says, now Israel went out to battle against 
the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. So what did the people do? They went and they said, hey, let's go grab the Ark of the Covenant. That thing has some power. Let's go grab the Ark of the Covenant and take it into war. So the people sent to Shiloh, verse 4, and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Like they were pumped up. They were, they were just so glad that they had the ark of the Lord there. Now was the presence of God there or was it just the ark? We go on to read verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of all Israel. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli died, which was prophesied earlier. So what happens here? Like what happens here? Like God's people have always had enemies. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because God's word, his truth, his glory places certain demands on people that our sin sick hearts, like we don't like it. We want to be our own God. We want to control our own fate. We want to have everything that our sinful hearts lust for and still go to heaven. Like that's, that's the, that's the struggle that we as men, followers of Christ, men, still have today. Like we still struggle with this sin nature, with this desire, our fleshly desires. And, and God's people have always had enemy. God, I mean, Satan hates God's rule and reign, both in eternity and in our day-to-day -day lives. And so he does his best to deceive us and draw us further away, like further away from God. So think about this. I want to, this is kind of the point that I want to bring up and talk about a good bit here on this, in this episode is, and what I see here in the story, and this is what Satan does. Like Satan tempts us. This is what Satan does, brother. For you and to me, Satan tempts us to take our own sin and God's glory lightly. He convinces us that we can domesticate God, that we can call out for his blessing and for help without all of the weighty matter of, matter of God's demands on our life. And this is what the people of Israel do, are doing. They're not following the Lord. They're not worshiping the Lord. Like they are, they are struggling in sin. And what do they do? They think, well, let's just go get the Ark of the Covenant. That'll do it. Right? I mean, it's, 
It's one thing. It's one thing to go get the Ark of the Covenant. It's another thing to, to obey the contents inside the Ark of the Covenant, which we know the Ten Commandments were there. A cross is one thing if it sits around your neck or if it's a tattoo on your arm or in our house, we have a picture on the wall. Like we have like decorations of a cross. It's one thing to do that. It's something all to altogether different to let it rule and reign in your life. It's one thing to go to church and sing songs and give. It's something different to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God day by day as we seek to discern his will. Two totally different things. So the Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word glory comes from the same root word as weighty. The glory of God is a weighty matter, not to be taken lightly, not to be, not to be forgotten or ignored. Like the glory of God, which, which we would agree is the purpose of our lives, is a weighty matter. It's a serious matter. God will not be domesticated or taken lightly. He will not be, he will not be used as a means to a better life apart from obedience to his word. So as I was thinking about this and praying about this and reading his word, I was started, I had to ask myself the question, how do I take God's glory lightly? And one way that I do it is by comparison. Like I, I tend to model my standard of Christian living by what other people are doing. And it's easier to do that, right? Because then I can watch what they watch. I can read what they read. I can spend my time and my money on whatever they do because I'm like, well, they're good Christian people. So they do this, that therefore I can do this. And what happens is I interpret God's will through what I see or what I believe is reasonable to me. So what happens is when I'm doing that, I'm attempting to domesticate God. I want the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence without the contents inside God's commands. Like, like Israel here, when they brought out the ark in the midst of war and battle, like I want victory over sin and shame, even though the word of God is not honored in my day-to-day life. So what happens to the people here? Well, they take God lightly and are routed by their enemies. And then they wonder, why did this happen? Why did this happen? But get this, nothing has changed in them on a deep level. The only thing that changed was surface level stuff. Hey, we didn't have the ark before, now we have the ark. Just surface, like just a symbol of God's presence was taken to war, not God's actual presence. And the result was over 30,000 soldiers were slaughtered. Eli, his sons, and daughter-in-law all also died. God's priest has ta- had taken his glory lightly and were removed from office. They were removed from serving this glorious God. And trust me, brothers, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be in a ministry position, something that God has done, and taken his glory lightly. And taking my sin lightly. 
but God will not be domesticated or bargained with. He does not live for us. We were created to live for him. And my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that the word of God and the glory of God and the call of God would be weighty and heavy on our hearts and would be the motivating force of our worship and work and of our deliverance from pornography. And the story continues. So what happens? Well, the Philistines capture the ark and they set it up in the, temp in the temple of their god, Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, Dagon, Dagon, I don't really know how to pronounce it. But get this, the weight of God's glory crushes the idol. And they're like, well, they came in and it was, and it had fallen down <laughs> with the Ark of the Covenant right there before. So they set it back up and they're like, something must have happened. They set it back up. They came in the next morning and not only was a statue on the ground, it was decapitated. Well, this terrified them. And they move it to the city Ashdod. But, but God's glory is too heavy there as well. And tumors break out and infect the people. They can't take it. And they move it to Gad. And the same thing happens. And, and in their panic, they send it to a city called Ekron. And they were terrified and come up with a plan to send it back to Israel. So get this. God's glory is a weighty and serious matter and, again, must not be taken lightly. So the Philistines find this out by experience. And instead of repenting and changing their ways and trusting in the only God who could do this, they just remove the glory of God from their presence. They're like, hey, let's send it back to Israel. And isn't that what most of us do? Like we struggle with the weight of God's demands on our life and his glory demands for holiness in our life. And so we just remove him as if that's better. Like as if when his word isn't listened to, his demands vanish as well. That's kind of, kind of silly, but the story continues. The Philistines will remove God's glory from their presence and return the ark to Israel. All should be well, but guess what? It's not. The cows bring the ark back to uh, the city called Beth Shemesh, and the people rejoice to see the ark coming, but they didn't treat the ark, God's glory, with the respect it demands. So this is what they did. It says in 1 Samuel 6, it says, the ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and that stopped there. A great stone was there and they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark and the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it in which were the golden figures and set them upon a great stone. And there the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifice on that day to the Lord. And he struck some of the men because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And then the men said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and who, whom shall he go up away from us? In other words, who in the world can stand? Like, this God is holy and terrifying, and like, we need him away from us. And so, 
Tim Chester says that they did three things wrong here. Number one, they offered cows when it should have been bulls, according to Leviticus. Number two, they set the ark on a stone and out in the open when it should have been covered. And number three, they looked inside the ark. Like God's own people don't respect the weight of his glory. And the result was judgment and mourning. And like the Philistines, their solution is just to do what? It's just to remove God's glory, his demands from their presence. And so this is what we do. And, and listen, this sounds very doom and gloom as I'm sitting here recording this, but good news is coming. Like good news is coming. We can't forget it but we have to continue. So it says from that day, from the day that the ark was lodged at Kirath Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So the ark comes and rests at the city. And it's there that the people of Israel started seeking the Lord again. Although the Lord Although the people couldn't stand before the Lord earlier, Samuel was able to intercede as long as their repentance was from the heart and they demonstrated it by action. So this is what Samuel says in seven verse three, he says, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Look at that. They put away the Baals and the Asherahs and they served the Lord only. They turned back to God. So they repented, but they not only repented, but they took massive action. They put away the Baals and the Asherahs. This is true repentance. It's not just words. It's words plus actions. They flee temptation. Like guys, if we're truly repentant, then we will do whatever is necessary to avoid temptation and avoid sin. Like how often, how often do we express sorrow over sin? And for guys struggling with pornography, like I know this is, this is huge, right? So if you're a follower of Christ and like last night was Saturday night, if last night you stayed up and looked at porn, man, you, you feel sorrow for that sin. You confess that sin. You repent. You make promises to God. Like it'll never happen again. But so many men that I talk to refuse to do whatever is necessary. They refuse to do it. Instead, they tell stories in their minds of justification or entitlement. They say things like, 
hey, it won't happen again. I've got it under control. It's not as bad as so-and-so. Like the reality is that they may be sorry about the effects of their sin, but they're, they still want to hold on to the sin itself. And my question is, does that, is that truly what we should be doing if we, if we see the glory of God like as a weighty matter in our lives, like serious matter? This is how the story continues. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, so their enemies, the Philistines, start coming to attack them. And the, Philist, and the people said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up a burnt offering. And as Samuel was offering up a burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Now, this is, this is a beautiful part. The people's defeat, so Israel's defeat, led to God's victory over Dagon in their temple. And here is, here's well, a battle is brewing, but the people look to God instead of themselves. And God is the undisputed champion. He's undefeated. So think about this at the cross, a defeat actually turned into God's victory. And here, Israel, I mean, the Philistines thought they had Israel right where they wanted them, but God thundered from heaven and the enemy was routed. Christ was resurrected in power over our great enemy. Even today, we can cry out to our God and he will fight our battles if we trust in him and not in our own goodness, our own works, or some type of superior wisdom. Like his death became our victory. Paul says this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly to God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. He goes on in 2 Corinthians and says, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So get this, the Philistine army was transient, mortal, and wasting away, but God is eternal, unseen, and possesses unlimited power over our enemies. It didn't say that God showed up on the battlefield in human form and defeated the enemy. It, he thundered. He was unseen, yet his power is unmatched. right? It says the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered and threw them into a great confusion. 
God unseen to his people, yet trusted, like he was trusted in here, thundered and defeated the enemy. He is eternal in power and grace and mercy. So this is what I want to close with. Because the point that I'm making is that God must not be domesticated by us. We cannot put God in a box. We cannot say, God, you, I'm, I'm going to trust you at church and I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to, you know, give my tithe. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to pray at dinner, but yet not let him rule our lives. This is what the people of Israel were doing. They're like, Lord, this is what the people of Israel are doing. Lord, I'm going to live my life. We're going to live our lives the way we want. And you just show up and bless us. Give us livestock. Give us peace. Give us all these great things. And God was like, well, that's, that's not the way it works. That's absolutely not the way it works. But what happened? What, what the beautiful picture in this story is as you know, as we look at Israel's failure over and over and over again, the beautiful picture is that God gave his people, God gave his people someone to intercede for them in Samuel. And what was so special about Samuel? He was a mortal man, just like all of them. But he took the glory of God seriously. He trusted in the Lord. He he honored the word of God more than Eli, more than Eli's sons. And so what happens is Samuel intercedes on behalf of God's people. And the Lord in his grace and power delivered his people from their enemies. So you, brother, you also have someone who intercedes for you. This is our great high priest. Jesus Christ. And his blood gives us sonship and access to our God. And will, will God not also rout our enemies by his power and not our own power? What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to be done with pornography? What human methods and means have you tried and failed over and over and over again? And so my question is, do you take the glory of God lightly? Do you read the word when it's convenient for you? I know I do sometimes. So we have this great high priest. So I'm going to read this last passage for you. This is John writing in first John two verse one. He says, my little children, I am right. And my little children, look at that children. So we're God's children, which is good brothers. Even, even in our struggles with pornography, God never kicks us out of his family. We're his children. So he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
Like we have an advocate. We have someone who intercedes for us. But we have to look at this because John says, I'm writing these things to you. So what were these things? Well, if we go back up in chapter one, this truth of God's intercession on our behalf, it comes at the end of three false claims that John just dismantles, right? So claim number one, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, chapter one, verse six, the second claim is if we claim to be without sin, verse eight, and the third one is if we claim we have not sinned. So get that. So all of these things, if we claim to have fellowship yet walk in darkness, and what does that mean? It means that we're hiding our sin and not bringing it out into the light of God's word and in true confession. So John's point here is if we hide our sin, that's claiming to have fellowship yet walk in darkness. So that's hiding our sin. If we deny our sin, so this is the second one, if we claim to be without sin, or if we minimize our sin. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned. So what we're doing is we're lying, we're deceiving ourselves, and we're making God to be a liar. But the glorious promise, like, guys, this is what we need to know. The promise is that we can drag our sin into the light because we have a priest who intercedes for us forever. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Like you and I have a priest standing in the presence of God. And through him, we are cleansed and forgiven. So there's nothing to fear in bringing our sin out into the light in walking in the light. God is light, and if we want to walk with him, this is where we have to be. Like If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But to hide or minimize or excuse our sin is to live in the dark. So, brothers, the word, like as I was studying this and I studied this over several mornings was just to me, it was Spencer. Don't take the glory of God lightly. Don't take your sin lightly. Do not compare yourselves to other people and think, well, if they're doing something, I can do something. Do not compare yourself to the world. Do not compare yourself to other Christians. Like I can be encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ who are living God honoring lives. And I am that's what the church is for, to build each other up, to exhort each other, point each other to Christ day after day. The problem with guys is that we only show people what we, what we feel comfortable showing them. And so we have great, like you probably have brothers, like true brothers in Christ, who you not even shared that you're struggling with pornography. And I want to encourage you, drag that out into the light with them. Pray with them about this issue. And then, like the Israelites finally did, 
when you confess, when you confess, like take action. Take action. Whatever that is, whatever, whatever God's telling you to do, take action. The glory of God, like God has created you for his glory. And we will not live out the purposes of God if we are in our, like if we are, if it's day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we're just giving into pornography time and time and time again. All right, brothers, that is it. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. You are an awesome God who cannot be contained. You cannot be defeated. You can't be taken lightly either. So Lord, I pray that you would give us an awe and respect for your word, that we would just fall in love with your word, God, that we would desire you, know you more and more as we give ourselves to the study of your word, to the memorization of your word, to the meditation on your word, to the praying of your word. God, I praise you for your word. Like without it, we are helpless. And so we don't come with our Bibles thinking that the Bibles, our Bible, carrying our Bibles bring us into victory. No, Lord, we ingest it. We eat your word. We take it in and let it change our hearts by the power of your spirit. God, you are a gracious and good father, and you promise to meet us. So I pray for all the guys listening to this. I pray for the guys that are still hiding in darkness, who refuse to drag their sin into the light. God, be merciful and gracious. Let us see this incredible great high priest your son jesus christ who intercedes for us who prays for us who loves us who's patient with us how many years have we struggled in sin god and all of our sins have been laid on christ on the cross and i praise you for that lord may we not take that lightly may we not take your grace lightly flippantly lord give us humility and wisdom as we call out to you to save us from our enemies lord thunder down in our lives and rout our enemies pray all these things in christ's name amen